Welcome back to Venture Studio. This week, Dave interviews Phil Toronto of Vayner RSE, an early-stage venture capital fund formed by Vayner Media and RSE Ventures. I'm your producer, Kevin Weeks. Make sure you subscribe to Venture Studio on iTunes so you never have to worry about missing an episode. As always, you can find us on Twitter at Venture Studio, and you can listen to prior episodes at VentureStudio.org or on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn. In today's episode, Phil and Dave discuss the importance of marketing and branding, even for early-stage companies. They give some advice for startups as they consider partnering with a Fortune 500 company, and they make a few predictions for 2016. We wrap up with a quick discussion about VR, verticalized brands, and the art of storytelling. Now, without further ado, let's head on up to the Venture Studio office with Dave Lerner and Phil Toronto. In the office, baby. Phil, it's great to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much, Dave. So look, I mean, Vayner RSE, uh, you guys launched in 2014, yep. and it's this fascinating partnership between Gary Vaynerchuk and two other organizations. Why don't you tell us a little about how that came together and what that constitutes? Sure. So uh, it's two groups, Vayner, uh, not so much the media side, but uh, just Vayner as an, an overarching entity that is Gary and AJ. Uh, and RSE Ventures, uh, which is co-founded by a guy named Steve Ross and Matt Higgins. We've known Matt for probably seven years at this point. Uh, he was the president of the New York Jets, um, wow. <laughs> and he had a meeting with Gary, uh, I think at the Taco Bell next to Wine Library. <laughs> he was trying to pitch him a, uh, a, a box, just to buy a box. He knew Gary's a big Jets fan. Uh, I think Gary walked out of that meeting signing Matt Higgins as VaynerMedia's first client, uh, and I think the box came along with that. Uh, <laughs> so that, that's how we met Matt, and we've just been staying in touch, did a lot of work with the Jets. Matt synced up with Steve Ross, who owns the Miami Dolphins, which reconciled that a little bit, right, but right. okay. He, Steve got super excited about entrepreneurship and what's happening in early stage tech, and Matt's like, if, if we want to do more of what we're doing, because they already have a very successful venture fund on the sports entertainment side with RSC Ventures, uh, we should talk to Gary and AJ. And partnership came out of that. And it's a, a joint venture, uh, $25 million fund, uh, opportunistic, uh, three LPs, Steve, uh, Gary, and AJ. Uh, so it gives us a lot of flexibility. I think most of our listeners know Gary Vaynerchuk you know, you've been working with him for many years now. Give a little background on, on Gary, too, so they get a feel for it, those who don't know. Gary is actually much more chill in, uh, in real life. I, I have never met anybody else that can work for 20 hours a day straight, uh, surviving just off sugar and a little bit of caffeine. Right. He's, he's, oh, my God, he's incredible. Uh, really great guy. Essentially my big brother at this point. And he's just phenomenal to work with. I've seen this guy's been getting into shape lately. Yeah, so the sugar's gone, and now he just runs off of God knows what. Absolutely incredible. Right. So it's Gary, it's Steve Ross, uh, it's Matt Higgins. There's a lot of 
real estate expertise, a lot of sports ex- expertise, and an enormous amount of brand and marketing expertise. And that's, that's kind of your background. What, why don't you share with us a little about how you got, it, got into this whole business of Viner RSE and all that? It's a great story. Sure. Uh, so it's the traditional finance path, I think, uh, for just me. I went to college at the College of New Jersey. Uh, it's a real college. I went to school for teaching. And then right before I got to TCNJ, I started an e-commerce business selling Japanese aftermarket car parts. I did pretty much everything you can do wrong with a business, refused to hire anybody, <laughs> one-man show, uh, got it up to maybe 500 grand gross uh, a year in four years, but then got scammed out of a, a ton of money, uh, cash, and went bankrupt. I was fun employed for about two months, living at home. Gary had sent out a tweet with a link to Craigslist that was uh, a job posting for VaynerMedia. I had followed him because suggested user list on Twitter back when I started the company. Gary Vaynerchuk tweets about wine e-commerce. Right. He's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. New Jersey guy. I like him. Right. Uh, let's try it. Sounds like a great guy to work with. Uh, <laughs> I applied, and I got a, an email back from his assistant saying, somebody's going to call you, schedule your interview. It's going to be great. Um, I was like, that's kind of weird. We could do this over email, but first job in the real world, this is how it goes. Uh, the phone call came, but it was from MTV and the job wound up being tied to a a reality show, uh, called hired and sort of a mashup of the apprentice with a true life type deal. So my entire job process was, was on MTV I didn't win on the show, but I won in real life. I got an internship at VaynerMedia, uh, interned for about three months, became Gary's personal assistant, and um, always was fascinated with uh, his deal flow on the angel side. He was super focused on wine. He was super focused on building VaynerMedia because uh, six years ago, I was the 10th hire. So he and AJ were, were busy scaling that up, getting clients, uh, learning how to run an agency, which neither of them really knew the first thing about they just knew that they needed to disrupt that model and so i connected with them on this retelling the story about how i thought things went but he uh he was testing me a little bit a deal came across where i thought he was going to pass and i was like no you should take another look i use the product every day it helps me day in and day out as an assistant it was a reportive just take another look I i think it's a phenomenal product and he's like okay uh Get the wire info. Wire the money. Wow. I was terrified. Turns out he had shared a cab uh, with Rahul in San Francisco and committed to the investment already and <laughs> kind of didn't tell me. Nice. <laughs> and here I am. I'm like, oh, um, wh- what? I'm not an investor. You're the investor. You know what to do. He's like, let's try it out. You like the product. You're a great assistant. Let's figure it out. And it, it worked, thankfully. LinkedIn bought him up. Uh, right about a year later and he was like you you enjoy angel investing you like my deal flow Mm -hmm. yes i'm fascinated by he's like okay help me scale it so over the course of two years we did about 70 more angel investments together yeah uh and that led us to vayner rsc in 2014 no i didn't realize i didn't realize this and it sounds like almost in every early interaction with gary there was some kind of test going on behind the scenes at the MTV call to this. It was always yeah. like a bunch of levels there, right? Yeah, <laughs> he was, just stop checking me. <laughs> right, he was checking out who, who, who you are and what you're about. Okay, so wow, 70 companies early on. And I know many of those 
companies are, are, I think you guys are in Facebook and medium mm-hmm. and a lot, a lot of household names. Am I right? Yep. That's right. Facebook, uh, Twitter, Tumblr, uh, buddy media, wildfire, Uber. Um, Sweet. okay. But, but passed twice in the seed round. Um, of Uber. Of Uber. yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Was that before your involvement? Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. No, that's great. And so you guys are in collectively seems like over a hundred companies now I see we're in Grove together, yep. uh, but you guys are also in Coinbase and Spring and Birchbox and Product Hunt and Medium. I, I see you're also in Lola that was co-founded by a former student of mine, Jordana Keir. Oh, really? That's uh, yeah. awesome. Yeah, so, so that's going really well. And if I, if I can um, just look at this portfolio, I, I see some themes, and one of them is definitely the branding and marketing stuff. You guys are trying to back companies with a very clear branding and marketing message. Where does that come from? What is your thinking behind that? Uh, it's, it goes to our, our DNA. I spent four years within VaynerMedia, not always on the account side, but watching how things were working uh, and just how important it is to define and establish a brand, no matter what size company now with startups popping up left and right in competitive industries, maybe 10 at a time, the one that's going to win, uh, yes, your technology has to be phenomenal, but if people don't know your brand and resonate with your brand, you're going to lose. You're going absolutely going to lose. Uh, marketing is absolutely important, and a lot of companies don't give it the attention early on that I feel it, it deserves. Uh, it's almost an, an oh shit moment, right. maybe a series A, series B. I think we need a CMO. Yep, you need a CMO in the back of your head when you're, you're founding the company. Uh, how will you tell your story? How will you get customers? Where do you go from there? You, you need it to grow. Super obvious to us. Super obvious to everybody. It's just usually that oh shit moment. And do you guys, when you look at companies, say, are you looking for that DNA within the company? Or sometimes do you say, we like it so much that because of our backgrounds, we can help with that? Or do you need to see some of that in the founding team? We, we definitely need to see some of that within the founding team. It's very easy to pretend to be the best armchair quarterback of all time and put yourself in the mindset, well, when I run this company, it's going to be a phenomenal success because I know exactly what to do. It's not your company. You're investing to help them grow their vision. And yes, you can be involved. As an investor, you absolutely should be involved and add as much value as you can, but it's not your company. Uh, and, and the DNA needs to be ingrained in the founders because you just can't handhold every single company for their entire life cycle. Right. It, the DNA has to be there. Right. And so you guys really, when you see that and the technology is great and you have that, you can put that marketing and branding on steroids uh, with your yeah. influence. But you need to have that early DNA. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. Okay. No, we'll add just, juice. Yeah, you'll add the juice. I like that. Looking across your portfolio. Give us a sense of some of these stories, like when you met the founders early, what fired you guys up about some of these founders? What are the signs you look for when, they, when you see this sense of brand, this sense of story? Give us a couple examples. Uh, well, I, we could use Lola, actually, uh, great, with great. Alex and Jordana. Being a, a white male investor, uh, I am definitely not the most well-versed when it comes to feminine hygiene. Right. Um, <laughs> and... The, the picture that they painted, this absurd picture of not knowing what you're putting in your body. Yes. 
as a woman with right. feminine products with no true regulation against chemicals or asinine process, telling that story and saying, hey, we're going to draft off of this wellness movement that's happening in the past five years. People care about what's going in their body. They care about their bodies. They're caring about being healthy. Lola's the brand for this generation of women to actually know what's happening, uh, know what's going into their bodies. It's They were so passionate about they were passionate about it, but they also made it such a foregone conclusion that this is the direction the world is moving, and they are the ones that are, if not going to steer the ship, they're absolutely going to be next to the captain uh, telling them where to go. No, that, that was extraordinary, and, and the folks that are listening, definitely look it up. When Jordana first told me about it, I, I was blown away. At the current state of affairs, you know, it was the kind of aha moment where you're like, yeah, Okay, that that's a no-brainer. How did you know they were the ones to do it? Oh, uh, <laughs> and I know Jesse was involved too, right? Jesse Darius. Yes, yep. Jess, Jesse Jesse was involved, but uh, before I actually learned about the amazingness that is Jesse Darius, uh, I had sat down with Alex and Jordana, uh, and that that was a great. Oh, by the way, <laughs> right? It's it's truly it's just got. I I think within the first five to 10 minutes of a meeting, I, I have a decent sense about whether or not this is an entrepreneur that I want to back. If not now, sometime in the future, but just somebody that I feel like I would want to work with eventually. Um, and that, that litmus test, it's not even a litmus test, it's purely gut. That's so important to me. Uh, just, you just kind of know. I, I'm sure you can relate. Yeah, definitely. And you are profoundly a, a product guy. You've been working with brands for the years that you were with uh, Viner Media. Tell us a little about that, that, that time when you were there, finding products, using them yourself, you know, just living and breathing it, and you still are, and then sharing it with brands. Give us a sense of that world and how brands are looking at the startup space now and new products that are emerging. That's a whole dimension that a lot of us just are not aware of. So it, back uh, when I was doing that, partnership setup. Uh, I think it was maybe 2011, 2012. Brands were just opening their eyes to startups and they wanted to work with every single startup in the world. It, it was tough to navigate because a lot of it was education. Um, how do you work with a tiny startup as a large corporation? That That is the toughest lesson to learn as a brand manager at a big brand, um, the pace. The, the pace is so different from what they're used to and what they need to adhere to in the day-to-day. We had to learn how to navigate the process for them. We did, one of my favorite partnerships was, uh, it, it sounds like a no-brainer in hindsight, but we put a, a lot of work into it collectively, the three groups, uh, us, USA Today, and TimeHop. Uh, oh, for a while, yeah. TimeHop had a little nubbin at the bottom of the feed, which was uh, This Day in History with USA Today. USA Today was phenomenal to work with uh, once we figured out the formula uh, and what approvals we needed to get in real time. Navigating that was just an eye-opener for how the different Fortune 500 brands work and, and accept partnerships. And if you, you just need to take the legwork out. I'm sure a lot of people are listening are entrepreneurs and founders uh, who are trying to 
cut deals with larger brands and companies um, and haven't done it before or are just coming up against that long sales cycle and the, what you just painted, you know, the different uh, pace at which the companies move, uh, what advice would you give them as they embark on this? I would first say take two steps back and evaluate whether or not this is even a partnership that is right for your business at this point in time. And if it truly will have the impact that you think it will on either the awareness piece, uh, the user growth piece, whatever, whatever is the driving force to do this partnership, do you actually think that this one brand that's going to take maybe six to 12 months of your mental bandwidth to get done, is this worth that for you at this life cycle of the company? If that's yes, then just be prepared to not put all your eggs in one basket, even if it's an exclusive deal or it's a huge deal. You need to operate simultaneously. I would treat it almost like a fundraising process. You need to fundraise, but you also need to run the business and make sure you're hitting all the metrics that are getting investors excited for your next round. Run a parallel process with this huge partnership, because usually if you're working with a big brand, it's going to be a huge partnership for a three to 10 person startup. But you need to focus on the day to day of your business as well, what's been working and what's attracted that brand in the first place. Got it. Don't put all the eggs in one basket and waste all your burn and months of your life and resources. And then sometimes it takes an extra six months than you thought. And yep. I, I mean, I've seen, I see a lot of companies do that. And, and it, every month they're like, well, we're close, we're close. And then they're not diversifying. Like you say, that makes a lot of sense. You guys did a lot of work educating these brands early on. What, what is the, the new paradigm? What are they seeing now? Is it an easier match now? Is there more collaboration than, than you saw in the early days of Viner Media? Yes, definitely. Um, it's, it's a different world nowadays. I feel all the necessary processes uh, have been put in place by the brands to actually navigate these partnerships much more efficiently than they were before because they were such a new beast back when we first started focusing on it. Brands have gotten much more agile, uh, shockingly. And it's it's really amazing to see what uh, some of our clients are doing uh, and how quickly they're doing it. I think one of the most notable brands is AB InBev. For, for a brand that has so much regulation, they are shockingly nimble and, and really eager to work with startups with anything that will advance uh, their initiatives. Now, they own like Anheuser-Busch and... Or, or uh, they, they're just an alcohol brand. They own tons and tons and tons of alcohol brands. And they and you've seen them really embrace this and and open themselves up to partnership deals with startups and technologies Definitely. and stuff like that. Who else impresses you out there that that you've seen in in the arena uh, uh, in terms uh, of the large brands that are making this uh, adjustment? GE is also amazing. They they are an absolute pleasure to work with. But uh, every Vayner client, I would have to say, uh, there's maybe about eighty logos now. They. They all know what they're signing up for and what they're hiring us for, and all of them are open to startup partnerships and trying to do something that challenges what they've been doing years in the past. Um, it, it's it's really exciting. Um, I I don't think there's a Vayner client in the roster that's that's turned down a, an opportunity to work with a startup that we've brought them. They're they're always eager to explore, which is I think the most important part. 
what are you seeing for 2016? What are you going to spend your time on? What new technologies are you going to be checking out? You know, what, what are you fired up about? I'm, I'm apparently going to be wearing an Oculus uh, quite a bit more than I was this year, uh, along with every single investor that has probably spoken to you in the past six months. Right. I only experienced VR for the first time uh, this year. Uh, I was at the Betaworks office with Matt Hartman. He, he opened up the floodgates for me, and I, it clicked. I, wow. I get it. Uh, I get how this can be a real opportunity. And that's, that's super exciting for me. I, I, just the travel aspect, the education aspect. Try, yeah, let, me, let me cut in here because this is very interesting. I've never put on an Oculus. I'm sure most people listening have not. You know, Fred Wilson blogged just a couple of days ago that virtual reality has hit its, some headwinds. Oculus hasn't released the Rift product yet. He said, I'm not bearish on it long term. I know it's coming, but it's still going to take a while. I myself saw a few companies last year in the space, you know, out of Techstars and other organizations where I was like, wow, this is a really talented team. This is exciting, but it was still so early. But again, I haven't worn the damn thing. What clicked for you? Try to communicate to us what goes on in there. It's the full immersion into an environment that you had a desire to visit or maybe didn't even know you had a desire to visit. The, one of the demos that Matt showed me at Betaworks was uh, taking a look at the universe. And you would look at different planets in the Oculus, and once your gaze locked in on the planet, facts would line up on the screen about Pluto and Saturn and you name it. And I was sitting there, I had my mouth open, and I was like, <laughs> looking around like a big dumb idiot. It's like an astronomy class. Yeah, completely. To the max, uh, like that's never existed before. Right. And then you think about kids in schools that maybe they have a Google Cardboard and they're looking around at Mayan ruins in 3D uh, in history class, getting a real feel for, for what it was like. Um, it's just, it's, it's really incredible. And, and to your point, I definitely don't think any billion dollar companies are going to pop up in VR this year. Uh, I definitely think three to five years before we actually see capacity. But what's super exciting is PlayStation hopping in with a VR piece and tapping into PlayStation 4 and the millions of people that use PlayStation 4 and HTC, Oculus. I feel like there's enough mainstream buy-in at this point where it definitely is on the cusp of happening more than it ever has been. Uh, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion in the next five years just yet, but boy, are we actually close, I feel. And that is actually a good set of circumstances for an investor to step into. If you have conviction, you know, that's what you want. Something that's, you know, three, four, five years out, it's a big bet. But if you see this future, if you've seen the future through these Oculus units, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty exciting. I mean, you might be on the lookout for some virtual reality companies. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you heard it here. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're here in New York. You guys um, are in a hundred companies. What else, what else is exciting you these days? I know you're big into product hunt. You're always looking at new products. What, what else are you seeing that excites you about the, the atmosphere we're in now? I feel like we're just getting started with verticalized brands and direct-to-consumer brands. Gary and I have talked about in the past the 
extinction of different retail stores because consumers are just getting the products delivered to them directly from the most amazing organic soap or shampoo or these brands that people grow affinities for that are direct to consumer and coming right at you because you believe in the company's values, you believe in their products. I feel like the humanization of brands that's been happening the past five to ten years uh, is is not even fully played out yet. I, I feel like we're just getting started with the different avenues that we're going to be receiving products. So that that's still very exciting for me. I feel like that's that's a 20-year thing that's going to be crazy to watch. So these individual product-oriented brands, you know, the Dollar Shaves and uh, the Lolas of the world and the soap companies that you just mentioned and so many others that, that are sort of vertically integrated, that is what you see being a lot of the future. And you're, you're saying a lot of these monolithic large companies that have been around for a long time, some of them, their days are numbered? Yes, wow. definitely. They're being assaulted? From, yep, from absolutely. The <laughs> okay. I also have to toot, toot the horn of uh, a portfolio company in the uh, direct consumer space, Stowaway Cosmetics. Julian oh, Chelsea. Yes, are I'm an investor phenomenal. too. Oh yeah. yeah, I didn't realize you guys were in that. Tell, yep. tell us a little. Tell us a little about Stowaway. I love Stowaway. So Stowaway, uh, again, a product that I'm very well versed in, makeup for women. Uh, <laughs> Julian Chelsea sat down with me, and it, it was it was a similar story uh, to Lola. We invested in Stowaway before Lola, but the the care of knowing what's in your cosmetics and what ingredients are being applied to your body, there is no regulation. Much like the feminine care industry, right. there are chemicals that are untested. There are preservatives that are in the makeup that keep them on a longer shelf life. And makeup actually does expire. A lot of people do not know that. Um, mm -hmm. And most women either don't know that their makeup is expired or don't have a chance to use up the entire bit of makeup that they have. Right. It, ju it just sits in their purse for like a year or two. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, Stowaway is coming at it as right-size cosmetics. Uh, right-size cosmetics that are not harmful to your body. They are about half the size of traditional... Uh, cosmetics, and you know every ingredient that's in them, which is a shocking concept, and it's direct to consumer. And Julian Chelsea do a great job of, uh, if at least training investors because they keep the tagline in every investor update that they are right size cosmetics. Yes, and I've noticed that. You know, you will never forget that. No, I just I, feel that it, they do a great job telling their story. The storytelling piece. What goes into that? What, what is an articulate story that? resonates with people these days what are you looking for uh, i'm looking for a lot of meat uh, around the why 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 are you creating this company why are you dedicating the next five to ten years of your life to this vision and this product is it compelling uh, it, it damn well better be not only for the entrepreneur because this is their life but for all of the consumers and investors as well if there's no real passion behind the brand, the, I don't think the brand can succeed. No, this is this is great. Phil, I, I want to thank you so much. Let's have you back on in a few months and so we can catch up with your, your, your latest investments and activity. And it's been great to talk to you, my friend. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's an honor. Thank you. Be well. Show you around, give you a taste of business, you know? <laughs>